0: Section Five of Aspects of Love, an Anthology. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tony Addison. Symposium, by Plato, translated by Benjamin Jowett. When Socrates had done speaking, the company applauded, and Aristophanes was beginning to say something in answer to the allusion which Socrates had made to his own speech, when suddenly there was a great knocking at the door of the house, as of revelers, and the sound of a flute-girl was heard. Agaton told the attendants to go and see who were the intruders. If they are friends of ours, he said, invite them in, but if not, say that the drinking is over. A little while afterwards they heard the voice of alcibiades resounding in the court he was in a great state of intoxication and kept roaring and shouting where is Agathon? lead me to Agathon!" and at length supported by the flute-girl and some of his attendants he found his way to them hail friends he said appearing at the door crowned with a massive garland of ivy and violet, his head flowing with ribbons. Will you have a very drunken man as a companion of your revels? Or shall I crown Agathon, which was my intention in coming, and go away? For I was unable to come yesterday, and therefore I am here today, carrying on my head these ribbons, that taking them from my own head i may crown the head of this fairest and wisest of men as i may be allowed to call him (coughs) oh will you laugh at me because i am drunk yet i know very well that i am speaking the truth although you may laugh but first tell me if i come in shall we have the understanding of which i spoke "'Will you drink with me, or not?' "'The company were vociferous "'in begging that he would take his place among them, "'and Agaton specially invited him. "'Thereupon he was led in by the people who were with him, "'and as he was being led, intending to crown Agaton, "'he took the ribbons from his own head "'and held them in front of his eyes. "'He was thus prevented from seeing Socrates, who made way for him, and Alcibiades took the vacant place between Agaton and Socrates, and in taking the place, he embraced Agaton and crowned him. Take off his sandals, said Agaton, and let him make a third on the same couch. By all means, but who makes the third partner in our revels? said Alcibiades, turning round and starting up, as he caught sight of Socrates. By Heracles, he said, what is this? Here is Socrates, always flying in wait for me, and always, as his way is, coming out at all sorts of unsuspected places. And now, what have you to say for yourself, and why are you lying here, where I perceive that you have contrived to find a place, not by a joker, Or lover of jokes like Aristophanes, but by the fairest of the company. Socrates turned to Agathon and said, I must ask you to protect me, Agathon, for the passion of this man has grown quite a serious matter to me. Since I became his admirer, I have never been allowed to speak to any other fair one, or so much as to look at them. If I do, he goes wild with envy and jealousy, and not only abuses me, but can hardly keep his hands off me. And at this moment, He may do me some harm, or please to see to this, and either reconcile me to him, or if he attempts violence, protect me, as I am in bodily fear of his mad and passionate attempt. There can never be reconciliation between you and me," said Alcibiades. "But for the present, I will defer your chastisement, and I must beg you, Agathon, to give me back some of the ribbons." that i may crown the marvellous head of this universal despot i would not have him complain of me for crowning you and neglecting him who in conversation is the conqueror of all mankind and this not only once as you were the day before yesterday but always whereupon taking some of the ribbons he crowned socrates and again reclined then he said you seem my friends to be sober which is a thing not to be endured you must drink for that was the agreement under which i was admitted and i elect myself master of the feast until you are well drunk let us have a large goblet agaton or other he said addressing the attendant bring me that wine-cooler the wine-cooler which had caught his eye was a vessel holding more than two quarts. This he filled and emptied, and bade the attendant fill it again for Socrates. Observe, my friends, said Alcibiades, that this ingenious trick of mine will have no effect on Socrates, for he can drink any quantity of wine and not be at all nearer being drunk. Socrates drank the cup which the attendant filled for him, "'Eryximachus said, "'What is this, Alcibiades? "'Are we to have neither conversation nor singing over our cups, "'but simply to drink as if we were thirsty?' "'Alcibiades replied, "'Hail, O worthy son of a most wise and worthy sire!' "'The same to you,' said Eryximachus. "'But what shall we do?' "'That I leave to you.' said alcibiades the wise physician skilled our wounds to heal shall prescribe and we will obey what do you want well said eryximachus before you appeared we had passed a resolution that each one of us in turn should make a speech in praise of love and as good a one as he could the turn was passed round from left to right and as all of us have spoken and you have not spoken but have well drunken you ought to speak and then impose upon socrates any task which you please and he on his right-hand neighbour and so on that is good eryximachus said alcibiades and yet the comparison of a drunken man's speech with those of sober men is hardly fair and i should like to know sweet friend whether you really believe what Socrates was just now saying, for I can assure you that the very reverse is the fact, and that if I praise any one but himself in his presence, whether God or man, he will hardly keep his hands off me. For shame, said Socrates. Hold your tongue, said Alcibiades, for by Poseidon there is no one else whom I will praise when you are of the company. Well then, said Eryximachus, if you like, Praise Socrates. What do you think, Eryximachus? said Alcibiades, shall I attack him and inflict the punishment before you all? What are you about, said Socrates? Are you going to raise a laugh at my expense? Is that the meaning of your praise? I am going to speak the truth, if you will permit me. I not only permit, but exhort you to speak the truth then i will begin at once said alcibiades and if i say anything which is not true you may interrupt me if you will and say that is a lie though my intention is to speak the truth but you must not wonder if i speak anyhow as things come into my mind for the fluent and orderly enumeration of all your singularities is not a task which is easy to a man in my condition. And now, my boys, I shall praise Socrates in a figure which will appear to him to be a caricature, and yet I speak not to make fun of him, but only for the truth's sake. I say that he is exactly like the busts of Silenus, which are set up in the statuary shops, "'holding pipes and flutes in their mouths, "'and they are made to open in the middle "'and have images of gods inside them. "'I say also that he is like Marcias the satyr. "'You yourself will not deny, Socrates, "'that your face is like that of a satyr. "'Aye, and there is a resemblance in other points too. "'For example, you are a bully, "'as I can prove by witnesses if you will not confess.' and are you not a flute-player that you are and a performer far more wonderful than marcius he indeed with instruments used to charm the souls of men by the power of his breath and the players of his music do so still for the melodies of olympus are derived from marcius who taught them and these whether they are played by a great master or by a miserable flute-girl have a power which no others have. They alone possess the soul, and reveal the wants of those who have need of gods and mysteries, because they are divine. But you produce the same effect with your words only, and do not require the flute. That is the difference between you and him. When we hear any other speaker, even a very good one, he produces absolutely no effect upon us or not much, whereas the mere fragments of you and your words, even at second hand, and however imperfectly repeated, amaze and possess the souls of every man, woman, and child who comes within hearing of them, and if I were not afraid that you would think me hopelessly drunk, I would have sworn as well as spoken to the influence which they have always had, and still have, over me, for my heart leaps within me, more than that of any Corribantean reveler, and my eyes rain tears when I hear them, and I observe that many others are affected in the same manner. I have heard Pericles and other great orators, and I thought that they spoke well, but I never had any similar feeling. My soul was not stirred by them, nor was I angry at the thought of my own slavish state. But this Marcius, has often brought me to such a pass, that I have felt as if I could hardly endure the life which I am leading, this, Socrates, you will admit, and I am conscious that if I did not shut my ears against him, and fly as from the voice of the siren, my fate would be like that of others. He would transfix me, and I should grow old, sitting at his feet, for he makes me confess that I ought not to live as I do, neglecting the wants of my own soul, and busying myself with the concerns of the Athenians. Therefore I hold my ears and turn myself away from him, and he is the only person who ever made me ashamed, which you might think not to be in my nature, and there is no one else who does the same. For I know that I cannot answer him, or say that I ought not to do as he bids, but when I leave his presence, the love of popularity gets the better of me, and therefore I run away, and fly from him, and when I see him I am ashamed of what I have confessed to him. Many a time have I wished that he were dead, and yet I know that I should be much more sorry than glad if he were to die, so that I am at my wit's end, and this is what I and many others have suffered from the flute-playing of this satyr. Yet hear me once more while I show you how exact the image is, and how marvellous his power! For let me tell you, none of you know him, but I will reveal him to you. Having begun, I must go on. See you, how fond he is of the fair. He is always with them, and is always being smitten by them. And then again, he knows nothing, and is ignorant of all things. Such is the appearance which he puts on. Is he not like a Silenus in this? To be sure he is. His outer mask is the carved head of the Salinas, but, oh, my companions in drink, when he is opened, what temperance there is residing with him. Know you that beauty and wealth and honour, at which the many wonder, are of no account with him, and are utterly despised by him. He regards not at all the persons who are gifted with them. Mankind are nothing to him all his life is spent in mocking and flouting at them but when i opened him and looked within at his serious purpose i saw in him divine and golden images of such fascinating beauty that i was ready to do in a moment whatever socrates commanded they may have escaped the observation of others but i saw them now i fancied that he was seriously enamoured of my beauty and I thought that I should therefore have a grand opportunity of hearing him tell what he knew, for I had a wonderful opinion of the attractions of my youth. In the prosecution of this design, when I next went to him, I sent away the attendant who usually accompanied me. I will confess the whole truth, and beg you to listen, and if I speak falsely to you, Socrates expose the falsehood. Well, he and I were alone together and I thought that, when there was nobody with us, I should hear him speak the language which lovers use to their loves when they are by themselves, and I was delighted. Nothing of the sort. He conversed as usual, and spent the day with me, and then went away. Afterwards I challenged him to the palestra, and he wrestled and closed with me several times when there was no one present. I fancied that I might succeed in this manner, but not a bit. I made no way with him. Lastly, as I had failed hitherto, I thought that I must take stronger measures, and attack him boldly, and, as I had begun, not give him up, but see how matters stood between him and me. So I invited him to sup with me, just as if he were a fair youth, and I a designing lover. He was not easily persuaded to come, He did, however, after a while accept the invitation, and when he came the first time he wanted to go away at once as soon as supper was over, and I had not the face to detain him. The second time, still in pursuance of my design, after we had supped, I went on conversing far into the night, and when he wanted to go away I pretended that the hour was late and that he had much better remain. So he lay down on the couch next to me the same on which he had supped, and there was no one but ourselves sleeping in the apartment all this may be told without shame to any one but what follows i could hardly tell you if i were sober yet as the proverb says in vino veritas whether with boys or without them and therefore i must speak nor again should i be justified in concealing the lofty actions of Socrates when I come to praise him. Moreover, I have felt the serpent's sting, and he who has suffered, as they say, is willing to tell his fellow-sufferers only, as they alone will be likely to understand him, and will not be extreme in judging of the sayings or doings which have been wrung from his agony. For I have been bitten by a more than viper's tooth, i have known in my soul or in my heart or in some other part that worst of pangs more violent in ingenuous youth than any serpent's tooth the pang of philosophy which will make a man say or do anything and you whom i see around me phaedrus and agaton and areximachus and Pausanias and aristodemus and aristophanes all of you and i need not say socrates himself "'have had experience of the same madness and passion in your longing after wisdom. "'Therefore, listen and excuse my doings then and my sayings now, "'but let the attendants and other profane and unmannered persons "'close up the doors of their ears.' "'When the lamp was put out, and the servants had gone away, "'I thought that I must be plain with him, and have no more ambiguity.' So I gave him a shake, and I said, Socrates, are you asleep? No, he said. Do you know what I am meditating? What are you meditating? he asked. I think, I replied, that of all the lovers whom I have ever had, you are the only one who is worthy of me, and you appear to be too modest to speak. Now, I feel that I should be a fool to refuse you this or any other favour, and therefore I come to lay at your feet all that I have, and all that my friends have, in the hope that you will assist me in the way of virtue which I desire above all things, and in which I believe that you can help me better than any one else. And I should certainly have more reason to be ashamed of what wise men would say if I were to refuse a favour to such as you, than of what the world, who are mostly fools, would say of me if I granted it. To these words... He replied in the ironical manner which is so characteristic of him, Alcibiades, my friend. You have indeed an elevated aim, if what you say is true, and if there really is in me any power by which you may become better. Oh, truly, you must see in me some rare beauty of a kind infinitely higher than any which I see in you, and therefore, if you mean to share with me and to exchange beauty for beauty you will have greatly the advantage of me you will gain true beauty in return for appearance like diomede gold in exchange for brass ah but look again sweet friend and see whether you are not deceived in me the mind begins to grow critical when the bodily eye fails and it will be a long time before you get old hearing this i said i have told you my purpose which is quite serious and do you consider what you think best for you and me That is good, he said. At some other time, then, we will consider and act as seems best about this and about other matters. Whereupon I fancied that he was smitten, and that the words which I had uttered like arrows had wounded him, and so, without waiting to hear more, I got up, and throwing my coat about him, crept under his threadbare cloak, as the time of year was winter, and there I lay during the whole night having this wonderful monster in my arms this again socrates will not be denied by you and yet notwithstanding all he was so superior to my solicitations so contemptuous and derisive and disdainful of my beauty which really as i fancied had some attractions here o judges for judges you shall be of the haughty virtue of socrates nothing more happened but in the morning when I awoke, let all the gods and goddesses be my witnesses, I arose as from the couch of a father or an elder brother. What do you suppose must have been my feelings after this rejection, at the thought of my own dishonour? And yet I could not help wondering at his natural temperance and self-restraint and manliness. I never imagined that I could have met with a man such as he is in wisdom and endurance and therefore I could not be angry with him, or renounce his company, any more than I could hope to win him, for I well knew that if Ajax could not be wounded by steel, much less he by money, and my only chance of captivating him by my personal attractions had failed, so I was at my wit's end. No one was ever more hopelessly enslaved by another. All this happened before he and I went on the expedition to Potidea. There we messed together, and I had the opportunity of observing his extraordinary power of sustaining fatigue. His endurance was simply marvellous. When, being cut off from our supplies, we were compelled to go without food. On such occasions, which often happen in time of war, he was superior not only to me but to everybody. There was no one to be compared to him. Yet, at a festival, he was the only person who had any real powers of enjoyment, though not willing to drink, he could, if compelled, beat us all at that. Wonderful to relate. No human being had ever seen Socrates drunk, and his powers, if I am not mistaken, will be tested before long. His fortitude in enduring cold was also surprising. There was a severe frost for the winter in that region is really tremendous, and everybody else either remained indoors or, if they went out, had on an amazing quantity of clothes, and were well shod, and had their feet swathed in felt and fleeces. In the midst of this, Socrates, with his bare feet on the ice and in his ordinary dress, marched better than the other soldiers who had shoes, and they looked daggers at him, because he seemed to despise them. "'I have told you one tale, and now I must tell you another, which is worth hearing.' of the doings and sufferings of the enduring man while he was on the expedition one morning he was thinking about something which he could not resolve he would not give it up but continued thinking from early dawn until noon there he stood fixed in thought and at noon attention was drawn to him and the rumour ran through the wondering crowd that socrates had been standing and thinking about something ever since the break of day at last in the evening after supper some ionians out of curiosity i should explain that this was not in winter but in summer had brought out their mats and slept in the open air that they might watch him and see whether he would stand all night there he stood until the following morning and with the return of light, he offered up a prayer to the sun, and went his way. I will also tell, if you please, and, indeed, I am bound to tell, of his courage in battle, for who but he saved my life. Now this was the engagement, in which I received the prize of valour, for I was wounded, and he would not leave me, but he rescued me and my arms, and he ought to have received the prize of valour which the generals wanted to confer on me, partly on account of my rank, and I told them so. This, again, Socrates will not impeach or deny, but he was more eager than the generals that I and not he should have the prize. There was another occasion on which his behaviour was very remarkable, in the flight of the army after the Battle of Delium, where he served among the heavy-armed I had a better opportunity of seeing him than at Potidaea, for I was myself on horseback, and therefore comparatively out of danger. He and Larches were retreating, for the troops were in flight, and I met them, and told them not to be discouraged, and promised to remain with them, and there you might see him, Aristophanes, as you describe, just as he is in the streets of Athens stalking like a pelican and rolling his eyes calmly contemplating enemies as well as friends and making very intelligible to anybody even from a distance that whoever attacked him would be likely to meet with a stout resistance and in this way he and his companion escaped for this is the sort of man who is never touched in war those only are pursued who are running away headlong I particularly observe how superior he was to Laches in presence of mind. Many of the marvels which I might narrate in praise of Socrates, most of his ways might perhaps be paralleled in another man, but his absolute unlikeness to any human being that is or ever has been is perfectly astonishing. You may imagine Brasidas and others to have been like Achilles, or you may imagine Nestor and Antenor to have been like Pericles, and the same may be said of other famous men. But of this strange being, you will never be able to find any likeness, however remote, either among men who now are or who have ever been, other than that which I have already suggested of Silenus and the Satyrs, and they represent in a figure not only himself, but his words for although i forgot to mention this to you before his words are like the images of silenus which open they are ridiculous when you first hear them he clothes himself in language that is like the skin of the wanton satyr. for his talk is of pack-asses and smiths and cobblers and couriers and he is always repeating the same things in the same words so that any ignorant or inexperienced person might feel disposed to laugh at him but he who opens the bust and sees what is within will find that they are the only words which have a meaning in them and also the most divine abounding in fair images of virtue and of the widest comprehension or rather extending to the whole duty of a good and honourable man this friends is my praise of socrates i have added my blame of him for his ill-treatment of me and he has ill-treated not only me, but Carmides, the son of Glaucon, and Euthydamus, the son of Diocles, and many others in the same way. Beginning as their lover, he has ended by making them pay their addresses to him. Wherefore, I say to you, Agaton, be ye not deceived by him. Learn from me and take warning, and do not be a fool, and learn by experience, as the proverb says. When Alcibiades had finished, there was a laugh at his outspokenness, for he seemed to be still in love with Socrates. You are sober, Alcibiades, said Socrates, or you would never have gone so far about to hide the purpose of your satire's praises, for all this long story is only an ingenious circumlocution of which the point comes in, by the way, at the end. You want to get up a quarrel between me and Agaton, and your notion is that I ought to love you and nobody else, and that you, and only you, ought to love Agaton. But the plot of this satiric or Silenic drama has been detected, and you must not allow him, Agaton, to set us at variance. I believe you are right, said Agaton, and I am disposed to think that his intention in placing himself between you and me was only to divide us, but he shall gain nothing by that move, for I will go and lie on the couch next to you. Yes, yes, replied Socrates, by all means come here and lie on the couch below me. Alas, said Alcibiades, how I am fooled by this man. He is determined to get the better of me at every turn. I do beseech you, allow Agathon to lie between us. Certainly not, said Socrates, as you praised me, and I in turn ought to praise my neighbor on the right. He will be out of order in praising me again, when he ought rather to be praised by me. And I must entreat you to consent to this, and not be jealous, for I have a great desire to praise the youth. Hurrah! cried Agaton. I will rise instantly, that I may be praised by Socrates. The usual way, said Alcibiades, where Socrates is, no one else has any chance with the fair, and now how readily has he invented a specious reason for attracting Agaton to himself. Agaton arose in order that he might take his place on the couch by Socrates, when, suddenly, a band of revellers entered, and spoiled the order of the banquet. Someone who was going out, having left the door open, they had found their way in, and made themselves at home. Great confusion ensued, and everyone was compelled to drink large quantities of wine. Aristodemus said that Eryximachus, Phaedrus, and others went away, he himself fell asleep, and as the nights were long took a good rest. He was awakened towards daybreak by a crowing of cocks, and when he awoke, the others were either asleep or had gone away. There remained only Socrates, Aristophanes, and Agaton, who were drinking out of a large goblet which they passed round, and Socrates was discoursing to them. Aristodemus was only half awake, and he did not hear the beginning of the discourse. The chief thing which he remembered was Socrates compelling the other two to acknowledge that the genius of comedy was the same with that of tragedy, and that the true artist in tragedy was an artist in comedy also. To this they were constrained to assent, being drowsy and not quite following the argument, and, first of all, Aristophanes dropped off, then When the day was already dawning, Agathon. Socrates, having laid them to sleep, rose to depart, Aristodemus, as his manner was, following him. At the Lyceum he took a bath and passed the day as usual. In the evening he retired to rest at his own home. End of section five. End of Symposium by Plato. Translated by Benjamin Jowett